Welcome to Hoops of Dramas podcast. We are uh, in one of our pilot episodes. This is like definitely like a season one type of thing. I don't know. But do do we do do we do seasons in podcasting? I don't. I don't know. Um, I'm not really like a seasons guy, like in podcasting. But uh, anyways, we are doing a very exciting thing. We're doing uh, you know since it is a 10 year anniversary, LeBron James taking his talents to South Beach. Um, I've been reading like a lot of articles about it and. Uh, everyone is literally saying the same thing. Shock the sports world to its core. And that's definitely like how how I felt, especially at the time too. I remember when I was a freshman uh, in high school, the whole, you know, uh, that last season in Cleveland, all the speculation, right? Especially after the All-Star break and when he said he was changing his number uh, and all that stuff, all that speculation was going to the Knicks. Bulls are a possibility. The Heat are obviously in the mix. Uh, I'm sure people had, I think the Clippers were also like, you know, randomly in there, just kind of sprinkled in there. Uh, the Nets, I think, had a head and head an interview or like a pitch meeting. Um, so like, I remember thinking like, you know, it's going to be, he's either going to go back to the Cavs or maybe he'll go to the Knicks or whatever. But I remember I was writing a paper. It was my last uh, paper of like the school year, of freshman year. And, I, and I, I don't know, something about it, you know, I just wasn't a fan of LeBron. And I said something along the lines that if he were to join the Bulls, I would not be a fan anymore or something like that, uh, which is um, – I would not be a fan of the Bulls uh, anymore, which I, I don't know, which is really weird and, and stupid. Um, very very much like what, like 15-year-old me. Um, but anyways, uh, I'm here to talk about that uh, whole – all that events, all the shebang with Gabriel Wilkins. Uh, he writes uh, – he writes basically covering the Houston Rockets. Well, what was the website again? Hoopshabit.com. Hoopshabit, that's right. Rockets. I've been covering them for the last three – and a half years at this point going on. And I've had my work featured across Bleach Report, you know, Sports Illustrated. Also been on a couple of, you know, national platforms. Been blessed to be able to do that a little bit uh, off and on whenever, you know, they wanted me on. And uh, I remember the decision like it was yesterday, you know, and the, the Nets were involved and the Clippers, they were a team that, I can remember LeBron, Maverick Carter were at the NBA Finals in 2010, and they were with David Geffen. And they were actually trying to get David Geffen, who's well-renowned in the music industry as an executive, to buy the Clippers. But Donald Sterling, who was the owner of the Clippers at that time, shut it down, saying he had no interest in selling and so forth. But when, you know... Game six of the 2010 Eastern Conference semifinals ended, and he took off that jersey um, in the tunnel way of the TD Garden after losing to the Celtics in six games. I was thinking about where was he going to go from that moment forward. I know it had been a lot of speculation from the season onward, like you brought up with the number change, but it was one of those things where I really wanted to wait and see how the season was going to play out before I started speculating myself. And I'll never forget, though, that game right before he leaves out of the TD Garden. Garnett walks up to him and, and whispers something in his ear. And if anybody knows, you know, Kevin Garnett's career, that was a guy that suffered for many years in Minnesota without getting a chance to play in the NBA Finals and win a ring, who had to basically be forced by his buddies and peers around the league to accept the trade to join up with uh, Ray Allen and Paul Pierce in Boston to form a big three trio, which in my opinion is really what birthed 
LeBron's decision to team up with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh down in Miami. Yeah, it's crazy because you mentioned Garnett, but and I remember I remember hearing this, and this is from like weird. This is from like recent podcasts, so I'm not sure if this is like revisionist history, but there was talk of at least I was listening to Amina Hassan on some podcast, and he was talking about the Suns are very interested in getting Garnett and how different the NBA landscape, even from LeBron's perspective, would be if Garnett had ended up with Phoenix. Um, so it's. I, I think, you know, I think we all agree that the Celtics are kind of the blueprint for the Miami Heat uh, to become their thing. LeBron kind of like, he kind of took it to the next level. You know, he kind of took like that, the, the, like uh, you can think of it as kind of like an epilogue or you can think of like Ray Allen as like the epilogue to the LeBron James, Kevin Garnett, kind of that bridge. Um, he, he took it to another level in this aspect. He left as a free agent. Garnett was traded. Ray Allen was traded even though there were, and it was a various amount of framework that had to go into making those deals on Danny Ainge's behalf. But when you tie back into LeBron, LeBron really set the blueprint for the whole entire decade by oh, making yeah. that decision. There's no super team if it's not for LeBron making the decision to team up with two of his buddies, all-star guys at that, all in the prime of their career to play with the Miami Heat. Like, I ask myself this question all the time. If if LeBron doesn't go to Miami, does Kevin Durant go to Golden State? You know, does uh, Paul George, when he's in Indiana, request a trade, you know, and, and gives Kevin Pritchard, who was the GM of the Pacers at the time and still is currently, does he, does he give him a, a list of teams in which he wants to be traded to? I think what LeBron allowed players to do was to – use their leverage to the best of their abilities, not only as on-court athletes, but as off-the-court athletes to control their own narrative and how their story was written. And a lot of things that get overlooked with the decision is that, you know, this was really the moment where guys like Maverick Carter and Rich Paul, who was on his team at the time and now his agent, you know, got thrusted into the spotlight if you will, because they were selling advertisement spaces for this event. They had that television time granted unto them by ESPN. And it was all the idea of Bill Simmons, which really gets overlooked in all of this. And it's funny because in retrospect, after everything happens, he's one of the first people to trash it and just say, oh, it was a horrible idea. But it doesn't happen without him. And then, you know, Jim Gray sitting down with Mav Carter at the finals between the Celtics and Lakers that year um, that it, it just like, it was so many things that had to happen. And the fact that it happened, it, it, it really laid a framework for so many things on and off the court. Like, I don't even think Chris Paul has a executive production credit on a show like Blackball or, or a documentary series like Blackball. I don't think you see Kevin Durant with a show with ESPN plus called the boardroom. If it's not for, Details and moments, the decision. Yeah, uh, like detail too. That was another one uh, where it's had like correct uh, someone else, like you know, someone creating their own uh, show. Yeah, um, I'm like I I was reading this article, of course. I was mentioning to you about Brian Windhorst, and uh, there's a lot of like stuff that happened the day before. Uh, A lot of like these players are like in Chicago, uh, meeting with the Bulls. Uh, Dwayne Wade has his meeting 
Um, and the Bulls seemed more, I mean, like, you know, obviously, you know, I'm a Bulls fan, and, you know, you're in Chicago and, uh, the Bulls, I, I, I was really surprised to learn this, at least from Brian Windhorst, is that the Bulls were not as confident in trying to get LeBron. Uh, I think it was maybe because of salaries. I'm not I always surprised. thought of it as the Bulls would get, if they were to get those guys, it would be LeBron and Wade, but not Bosh. Um, but I know they tried to move Luol Deng, uh, but, you know, the, that, uh, the Clippers didn't want Luol Deng and, and that kind of thing. Um, and the, the Raptors wouldn't deal with the Bulls uh, in terms of a sign-and-trade. Uh, so... It's crazy how, like, uh, and, and even Pat Riley met with Chris Bosh in Chicago. So uh, it's crazy how, like, that uh, Chicago has kind of played as, like, that leverage, um, kind of like that uh, maybe as a backup plan, but maybe not really. Maybe they're just used as, like, a, a, what do you call it, decoy maybe. I'm going to tell you what about it means we're hosting here. Most people may not know this, but Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade happen to share – the same agent, the right. late Henry Thomas, who was with CAA, whose office was based out of Chicago here. It's, well, actually, his main office was in L.A., but his office, like, he's from Chicago. He's a Chicago native. So that's why a lot of the memes were being taken here. And also at the time, I think a lot of things that get lost in hindsight is that Wade, you know, was in the midst of a custody battle, you know, for his children at the time, and he had a lot of court cases that he was dealing with away, you know, from the free agency madness here in the city. Of course, he has family here. So Chicago was always at the backdrop. You had a, a lot of uh, movers and shakers, you know, behind the scenes that were coming in and out of here because this is where Wade was based at, in addition to Henry Thomas and with Wade and Bosch sharing the same agent. Yeah, you had a lot of NBA teams and execs that were meeting with those two players uh, here in Chicago, actually off of Michigan Avenue, believe it or not, at the Ritz-Carlton. And I, I happen to know a lot about it because a, a guy that was involved in it by the name of William Wesley, Worldwide West, um, I knew I know a couple people who was associated with him. And I could believe that the Bulls thought that they didn't really have that significant of a chance because in order to even get LeBron, I felt like the first domino that they would have ever had to have acquired was Wade. Right, and, yeah. you know, Wade was going to be the guy that would have had to bring him in because Derrick Rose wasn't really active in recruiting them. And as we know now, that's come out earlier, or last week rather, Joe King Noah tried to talk with LeBron, but LeBron wasn't answering that call. And <laughs> it would have been nice to see. I knew a lot of people – who were like very close to figures that were trying to tell me that LeBron would come here. And even though I knew it was coming from like variable of uh, figures that were verified in the game, it just makes I never sense. thought that yeah, that was man. a possibility. Yeah. I just did it, it, a lot. Would, they had the money, but I just have never known the Bulls outside of the final two years of the Jordan era to really be big spenders like that. And yeah, they're not really risk takers either. Exactly, and that, and then, and then, this is the thing I think a lot of people have to think about too. For LeBron to have came here and played under the backdrop of six world championships, won by a man known as his heirness, who he was basically the predecessor to in the game. Um, you know that would have been a lot of pressure, and you gonna come here and wear the number six too. 
you know, that that that, that would have been a, a, a tremendous amount of pressure on him. Um, I, I would have loved to have seen it as a Chicagoan um, and as a, as a basketball fan and, and novice of the game, but I never saw that happening. New York, I always thought was a possibility because he had representatives there, you know, and with all the big business and so forth. And then Amari was going there, you know, I felt like that was a slight possibility, but I think where the Knicks fell short is um, failing to get Chris Paul in a, in a trade. I feel like if they got Chris Paul, who's a close buddy of LeBron and still is, but they were starting to do business together. And I think LeBron was really starting to wing him in a little bit, was really trying to, um, you know, get him to be a part of LRMR, which was the marketing agency that LeBron, Rich, Randy, and Mav have together on top of, um, you know, joining CAA, which he actually ended up doing, you know, I think that could have happened, but it, it was just a lot. It, it would have been too much like, right, you know, in Chicago and to see LeBron here. I, I just couldn't have seen that. And Derek, I don't know how Derek would have taken that either because at that point, you know, he was in his going on his third year, really trying to cement himself as a star in this league. Yeah, he was really about to break. Like, he really broke out, like, in the middle of that season. Against, against like, the Lakers, like, he really broke out that game. Like, uh he had that one, you know, he had that one shot. Remember, he made it from the corner. He just kind of shrugged. That was the moment where I was like, wow, this is this is a ridiculous season so far from Derrick Rose. Um, but, like, let's go into the actual day of the decision. Uh, so, I believe – now, I'm, I'm not sure. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe that it was announced, like, that day. Like, LeBron's going to announce on TV. It's going to be some event. Was it that day or was it, like, the day before or something like that? It was. It was about a couple of days before. Okay, so maybe it was a couple. Of days it was before. a couple okay. of days before. Because I remember, because the you know, day before. Yeah, because the, the, the day before, reason, I thought it was the day of, and and it was going to be like a big thing, and everyone's like, "Oh my god!" Or it was like the day before, or something like that. Because uh, I do remember I was at my cousin's house, and we're like, "All right, let's watch this." You know, I guess we're going to watch this thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, ever you know, I, I don't know how you were feeling while watching, but I, just a lot of tense nervousness from me because uh, I was just like is he not going back to the Cavs? Like, <laughs> because uh, I, I kind of had that feeling, like, if he's doing this on TV, he's probably not going back to Cleveland, you know, right? Like, I don't know. Um, so I was really wondering, like, where is it going to be? And I remember just kind of thinking in my mind, um, and I don't want to make this sound like I'm bragging or anything, but I I remember that Chris Bosh signed with the Heat that day, you know, like a couple hours hey, that day ago. And Dwayne Wade had his deal too, and I was like, "Is this really going to happen? Like, are they really like?" There's a lot of speculation about the Heat too. By that point, it's like, "Wow, they actually might be Miami." And then I, and then I just remembered, like, I just went back on Twitter. Stephen A. called this shit ten days before, because everybody in the industry knew. Yeah, yeah, it's like I uh, mean, literally, like every everybody everybody knew. And I, I'll be honest, when I woke up the morning of the decision, and I and I just say this as a side note, I don't even have a Twitter account if it's not for the decision because that was around the same time LeBron first joined Twitter, which was one of the reasons why I joined Twitter because I was really just as a fan, you know, excited to really follow this move and, and what was going to come from it. But going into the morning of the, the decision, the Heat were considered to be the overwhelming favorite. And I always felt like from the moment Bosch was on Sports Center saying that he was going to join up with Wade and, and play in Miami, 
And the way he was just giggling and smiling, I yeah. felt like he just gave it away <laughs> because he, you know, it, it was just, it was only a matter of time. And I, I, I feel like the decision, you know, was really a culmination of a lot of events. People have to understand and realize that LeBron never attended college. You know, he's, he was the first or the last, really the last great phenom, a high school hoops phenom yeah. that we've had um, since, you know, they've made it all about one and done at this point. So when you, when you think about that, like, I, I felt like he had a justifiable reason for that because this was really the biggest moment of his professional career and his entire career. And it's the moment that we remember him by. To me, as a sports fan, the decision is literally the equivalent to what Watergate was to our country. And, you know, with JFK's unfortunate, you know, assassination was to our grandparents' generation and, and so forth like that. Like, this is a moment I never forget where I was that night. I was in my father's house watching on the edge of my living room seat. Uh, so, thinking that I knew, but didn't know. So, like, uh, what were your initial thoughts? Like, once he, once he, honestly, was going to the heat, what were your initial thoughts? Like, did you stop watching or did you just keep watching until the end? No, I kept watching until the end. My initial thoughts were, you know, shit. We've never seen a roster this explosive with so much star power. You know, I, I was I was interested, but at the same time, I also was kind of like, damn, like you you make a move like that. That I I just I really I knew that they were gonna win a championship, but I just felt like you know they they had they had the east on just from even before they played a game just when when i look at the the starting five that they had when you throw those three guys in, into the fray like that guys that are all stars wade had a ring you know prior to those two guys joining him you know it was just like oh my god it became the it was really the first time when I made a devoted decision to say, you know what? I'm going to try and watch every game around the league this year. And whenever Miami's playing, I'm watching that. Yeah, you were definitely uh, way more mature about that than I was. (laughs) Uh, I guess for me, it was just like a lot of, um, you know, like everyone else, a lot of rage. Um, you know, it, it was weird. It feels like everyone was like a Cavs fan, you know, like all of a sudden, like that moment, um, because everyone just felt so bad for them, uh, because the Cavs have all, or just not the Cavs, just Cleveland in general, all of like the, you know, like the fumble, the shot, uh, what, what is it? You have, the, you have some other does in front of it. The move. Yeah. I forgot they moved. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like the, uh, now the decision. So like, uh, it seemed like it was kind of, it's like this pattern. And then of course, now we got the block. Now we got the shot, you know? Um, so, uh, we got the, what, what, what do we call that? The, the Kyrie Irving shot. What do we call that? Because the shot is Michael Jordan shot against the Cavs. So what do we, the three, the, and that's a two part. 
And that's the two part because oh, yeah, you know he, he gave well, him twice. Jordan did it twice though against the Cavs. He yeah, about twice <laughs> in, in, in the playoff series. So I guess part three, maybe it is. Um, but I guess that you know that's like the like if LeBron made that shot, that'd be like the redemption shot. I guess like LeBron's one was like the redemption, like the block. Um, but I feel like you know the block is like the moment that he's like kind of remembered for in that second run, um, or maybe just like all time. You know, everyone talks about that one, but. Um, you know, going back, like, it, it seemed like, you know, start of the season, everyone, you know, they got the target on their back. And I remember the first game they played against Boston, and there was very – so much hype going into that game. And uh, I was very excited. And this is, this is like, a, just in terms of, like, a basketball purity, beautiful basketball game. Uh, you know, sometimes – like, usually, like, an opening night, you know, you're just happy to see the basketball going again. And – uh lots of times like oftentimes like some some players will just have like really good nights on like the first night or whatever uh some people it just feels like they don't even miss a beat that's kind of what it felt like uh and then the heat were just like uh they kind of like that weird uh kind of transition i know like the first everyone talks about nine and eight but like those first like that first couple weeks and uh i guess it was reported that lebron was kind of had a meeting with pat riley talking about hey, maybe you want to coach again or something like that after about the 20th game or, or the 17th game or whatever. Um, and Pat Riley was like, what? You know, no, like that's, that's not what this is about, you know? Uh, and I, I, I really uh, underrated Pat Riley's appreciation for Spolstra. I think that, yeah, I, I want to find my Pat Riley to my Eric Spolstra. You know, like I want to find that connection for me because Pat Riley has a lot of trust in that guy and, uh, it's like it's really refreshing to see that because he's such a like a, such a homegrown guy, Eric Spolstra. Yeah, but you know when, when you when you talk about you know Miami, like that first game in, in TD Garden against the Celtics, it 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 was gonna feel like a playoff game just because of what you had on both sides. You knew that the Celtics being the reigning Eastern Conference champion. They weren't going to take kind of them, you know, and that was a team that when I was in high school, because at the time I was, I was a senior in high school that season. That was actually my favorite team throughout my high school years was Boston. So to see that game, you know, I knew it was going to have like a game seven like type of atmosphere from the jump because you want to figure those guys out and see what they're about and test their medals. Now, little did they know how much that they would improve as the season went along because they certainly did. Because that same team that they saw in game one was not the same team that they saw um, in round two of the Eastern Conference semifinals when they heat the specimen five. But it's it's crazy how like yeah. how they just comfortably beat them in that series. It's crazy, but then I mean, think about how much LeBron and Dwayne, you know, made such a a great commitment on the defensive end, you know. Dwayne Wade, yeah. I, mean, like, I was watching all these highlights, and Dwayne Wade. People talk about, you know, especially his last two years where he was really on the decline during that run. Uh, but man, that guy brought the defense every night. Like he'd be having a highlight block on someone. Uh, he'd sometimes he'd have multiple blocks in a row. Like he just he was just just that kind of and like he's like the perfect clutch player. Obviously, I'm now, I know it's kind of like a, like a dumb buzzword, but he really is clutch. Like, Dwayne Wade, like, literally has something in him that he becomes, like, really great in, like, the last couple of minutes. He just has this, uh, this mental edge, you know, the last couple of minutes of a game where he just, uh, he just knows what to do, you know, just knows where to be. 
in in the will to win. But to me, the the hallmark game that always stands out, you know, when you look at LeBron James's first season with the Heat, it's always the return to Cleveland game. Yeah, so I, I was gonna bring that up. And, that and, was and, that was on my 16th and, birthday. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So. And and, it, and it's funny you said that was on your 16th. Yeah. Because 16th the birthday, decision yeah. the decision actually happened the day before my 17th. Oh wow! That, that's so, like awesome. I said, yeah. this this was this has always been a landmark moment uh, in NBA history, and not even just NBA history. I, as crazy as it sounds, my life because I don't even think I'm talking with you right now about NBA basketball or writing about NBA basketball if it wasn't for the decision, because yeah. it's the one moment that got me interested in just journalism as a whole and becoming more interested in seeing how players are covered. And it, it changed the landscape in a lot of ways. And it opened up the doors for players to do things that made a lot of members of the media at that time. And I even think still to this day, a little bit more uncomfortable. And it also forced them to have to work even harder to get those groundbreaking stories that once upon a time were so easy for them to grab because they were looked at as the primary source. Yeah, uh, I mean, the media coverage for just like that that first season was just insane. But going back to that game, I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but that game, uh, unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable atmosphere. I cannot believe, like, just uh, just the amount of, like, vitriol, just someone just walking into a stadium. It's, uh, it's insane, especially that person being, like, the hometown kid. Um, now, I remember at the time, you know, I, you know it was my birthday, everyone – is hype for this game. Everyone and their mama wants to watch this game. And I remember thinking, like, man, I like I don't think the Cavs are gonna win, but it'd be pretty fucking sick if they won this game. And I remember they kept it pretty close in like the first quarter. And by like the end of the second quarter, it was just kind of over. Uh but LeBron played that that's a really special game. Like that's like yeah, like I agree. That's probably the game that I think of, other than maybe the Bulls, uh they beat the Bulls in game five, that comeback. Uh, like the the peak moment of that season, but that game was also up there. Uh, December second, twenty eleven, uh, or twenty ten, twenty ten, and yeah, like <laughs> like the Cavs roster of just like a bunch of like you know I, I think they had Alonzo Gee, uh, they had they had uh, just like a bunch of other uh, I think Hickson was still on that team, uh, and you know the Heat with. You know, the dude getting booed every possession, but he's just making all of his shots, the fadeaway jumpers. Like, he's just in, he was just in another zone. And I thought, like, he was really going to, like, I, I thought it was going to get to him. Like, I, I, you know, I was one of those fools who thought, you know, he, that, you know, that was going to kind of get them because at that point, because, like, uh, even though he has shown up for big games, like, he did kind of have that uh, bullshit label, LeBron, of like not being mentally tough. Which I always kind of found laughable because even though at that point he was ringless and granted, yeah, he, he did have his struggles in crunch time situations. I mean, how many guys do you see at the age of 22 in their, I believe it was his fourth year in the league at that yeah, point? I think, yeah, it was his fourth year. A team to the NBA Finals coming back from down two games to nothing against the Detroit Pistons, who were a tough, stifling opponent on a defensive end. You know, like, 
I I never thought that he wasn't mentally tough. I thought that it was a game that was a must-see game and a must-watch game. And it was funny because the Cavs went in, you know, and they weren't really performing that well. But it was a game that you had to see because it was the return. It was the return of the king. Like you said, the, the hometown hero and the native and the, and the chosen one, as he labeled himself. And, I mean, he came, he saw, he conquered. And I didn't expect anything less just for the simple fact that when you have so many people, you know, from the moment you make a decision like he did and, and do it the way that he did it, draw as much criticism as he did for it, you can either do one or two things. You can either run away from it or you can try and figure out a way in which you could thrive off the hate. And I think he tried to wear that black hat villain role throughout the season very well. It just got to a point where it was mentally draining and exhausting, in my opinion, by the time he got to the NBA Finals. And this was the start of uh, his reign, LeBron's reign, of making the finals like every year, uh, the 2011 season. And yeah, he actually had like an amazing 20, like a playoff run uh, leading up to the finals. And even in like, like the first like few games of the finals, uh, I think everyone talks about game four where he scored like eight points or something. Um, but like, yeah, like that, uh, and like, you know, that one really, you know, that loss really fueled him the next season. You, you remember like going back, uh, you know, the next season started on Christmas and like he just dominated in Dallas, you know, like in in on ring night for Dallas, LeBron had like he, he had like his classic night, and he was really not around for uh, like this is gonna be his season. Like he really like he upped his scoring, he upped his like his shooting got better. Uh, he was uh, like that was kind of the start of him being absolutely unbelievable that next season. And won MVP. Yeah, and I, I truly believe that there is no back-to-back championships without that loss to Dallas. They all needed that loss yeah. to figure out, you know, how the jail with one another better. And I, I really feel like that's really what led to Miami becoming LeBron's team. Even though Wade was the face, so it was always this alpha battle between the two whenever they stepped on the floor who's going to be this guy that has the ball you know down the stretch you know with the money on the line and a lot of times during that first year it was Wade and I think a lot of that was you know due to LeBron seeking to default more and not carry as much of an offensive load combined with the fact how to that play Wade, I think still in his prime the first year yeah they have to figure out how to play off of one another. And I always tell people this, man. Have you ever noticed whenever you see these big three combos and trios joining and linking up with one another? It's very hard to win the championship that first year. The only team I've ever seen do it is the 2008 Celtics and the 2017 Warriors. Those are the only two teams I've seen do it. But even when the 2017 Warriors did it, and granted, they had an incredible run. They only lost one game throughout that whole playoff run. It's like, you you know, like they when, they, when they did it, they were just so unbeatable and unstoppable, but they, like, every game was must-see TV. They always had pressure on them each and every night. So that that's a lot to deal with, man. Yeah, and uh, 
Like it, it, the Warriors, like you can like it, it's kind of like you know if you're playing two K and you have like this like an amazing team and you add like that one guy like in free agency, you're just kind of breaking the game there. Um, I've always like it, it's weird because I when people when the when the Heat were around, a lot of people like the the standard like I feel it feels like the average NBA fan just hated on the Heat, like around especially those first two years. Uh, but with the Warriors, uh. People seemed very much like when the Warriors became their super team with Kevin Durant, people were, it seemed more people who hated on the Heat, they seemed pretty more, they seemed more fond of them. Uh, I don't know if it was like nostalgia or something, but like, uh, like pe- it seems like people like, they're like, oh wow, like I want to see that matchup, the Warriors versus the Heat, and I'd root for the Heat or something like that. You want me to break that down for you? Oh, Why yeah, I think that, that was the case? Because LeBron James, to most NBA fans, is a Goliath-like figure. Yeah, very true. He's a giant amongst men. He's 6'9", 250. You know, he can he can post you up like Carl Malone. He can pass like Magic Johnson. And now he has added a step back in a, a three-point jump shot that's reminiscent of James Harden and something. Like I think that's why why Steph gets a lot of love because he rep, he's like a David like figure. Oh right, yeah, league. yeah, like the underdog. Yeah, Americans love underdogs. That's, yeah. you know. we they love underdog, and I think that's the reason why a lot of people were willing to look past Durant's decision to join Golden State was because the face of the franchise was a guy who most of the general common public can relate to when they see a, a person of size and stature because he's not as big as LeBron. You know, he, he's not a brute force like that, but yet he could pull up from 40 and he could do out-of-worldly things from beyond the art. And like I said, he's revolutionized and changed the way the game is played. He made the three-point shot, you know, three times cooler than what it was. It was already making an upward boom. But what he did in fifteen sixteen, he took it to another level. Yeah, um, yeah, like that. That's definitely like uh, like, like the Cavaliers, Cleveland, like the underdog city, the underdog. You know, the team that's always been like shat on in sports, and then LeBron going back there, um, and then the Cavs. Are, no, sorry, not the Cavs. The Heat, Miami Heat, completely just like that overwhelming force. Um, so like moving on from like uh, like that first season, like coming into that second season, obviously they won the championship. But like um, going in from that uh, second season, um, I don't know if I'd say underrated, but like the big move, getting Shane Battier, who I did not like at the time. I was just like, oh, yeah, that's a good move for them. Like, that makes sense. But they, there was a point where they were like 30 and seven or something. And I was like, wow, this team clicks on all cylinders. And Shane Battier is literally the perfect role player. Always was. Yeah. I mean, you go back to the days in Houston, I, I never saw anybody complain about, you know, his effort. You know, Shane Battier is a guy, in my opinion, he could have made several consecutive all-defensive teams. He just didn't have a name recognition of the team um, to really, you know, bolster his case in a lot of areas. So, I mean, but, like, when, when I when I just look at – LeBron's decision just all the way around, though, man. Like, it was a decision that in so many ways has just influenced the current game that we see now. And it's 
it's like the new normal, if you will. Yeah, so he was, I mean, absolutely, like, just having his own TV special. Like, you can just see how, like, ahead of his time he was just, like, having that deal. I mean, I like, and it might not have been, like, his actual day. It was probably maybe someone in the circle uh, came up with the idea or, like, something something like that. Maybe, maybe it was a brainstorming thing, and they were just kind of... Do you, do you remember it was an article that Bill Simmons did on Grantland at the time where he had a fan, like, male Q&A type of article that he had like a segment it was actually a fan it was actually a fan's idea oh from northeast ohio to do that and he was asking bill what would his thoughts be on that he said i actually think that would be a great idea and you just titled it lebron's decision and bill was the one who ran that idea to maverick it out at the 2010 all-star game in dallas well, like that's how the idea it. was birthed and conceived um, was through the media, well, through through a fan, and then circumvented down to a media member, a prominent media member at that. Now, yeah, wow, that's uh... now I did not know that. Now we learned something new on every podcast. This is something like I did not like. That's really interesting. Like I know you 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 were kind of hinting at that yeah. before. I did not know the full extent of that. Um, mm-hmm. and I have like listened. It's weird. I mean, I, I probably did come across it because I have listened to like Bill Simmons talking about uh, the whole situation um, just on some podcast he did, whenever. But uh, yeah, like that, I, yeah, like just like dedicating like a whole hour to himself. Like I, I'd rather like like looking back, like I'd rather see something like that than honestly read like an article about what team some players should be an article about what team you're going to join. Uh, LeBron kind of created that. Uh, for everyone, like how, you know, they're going to announce their decision on some Instagram story or some shit now. Like it's, uh, it's crazy how far we've gone. <laughs> but you know what I like about LeBron when it comes to free agent revealings? And I don't know if most people notice this, but I do as someone who's followed LeBron's like whole entire career and, in so many different aspects. Every time he makes a decision, he announces it in a different way since this. And I think he's learned a lot from it. I think if he could go back in time, I don't think he would again. And he proved that, you know, in 2014, when he does the the SI article in the words of uh, Lee Jenkins, talking about how he was coming back home to Cleveland. And then in 2018, he just issues a simple a simple press release through Clutch Sports saying that LeBron James, you know, a multi-time NBA All-Star and three-time NBA champion, has agreed to terms on a four-year, $154 million contract with the Los Angeles Lakers. You know, he every time is he does it in a different way. So that's what always makes me as a fan and as someone who seeks to cover the game. So interesting to see how will he do it the next time. Because it's obvious to me that he's learned from the decision. I think a lot of people are still upset at him about the way in which he handled it. And I'm not going to lie, did it at first. I questioned the move a lot. And I did think it would be a move that would be into his brand, so to speak, at the time as a immature 16-year-old, he will. But looking back at it now, it was a move that was needed 
And I can truly respect him, Maverick Carter, and, and Rich Paul for seeking to do everything in their power to control the narrative, especially during a time in which so many athletes were never able to do that. Past, and even some, you know, in the recent, um, a previous present. Uh, yeah, like I, I mean, like I, I do enjoy that he's like he's really creative with that with uh, LeBron with how how he does, uh, like his his movements like that. Um, I wonder because I I do, like do you think he's gonna retire with the Lakers? Do I think he's gonna retire with the Los Angeles Lakers? Yeah, I know it's too early to say, but well, what do you think? No, you don't think so? Okay. I I I I don't. I don't. I I think. I think LeBron will make another move. Interesting. And I think the pieces are actually forming for him to make another move. I can honestly see LeBron at some point, if things go well in Los Angeles, I can see LeBron maybe trying to pursue New York as a destination. Interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. Because if you have Kevin Durant. A lot of pieces. If you, if you pay attention, it's a lot of pieces that are currently in New York from the president of basketball operations and Leon Rose, who's his former agent, and now Worldwide West, William Wesley, now being on board in that front office to some degree, who also has a history with LeBron. You know, there are pieces there that are forming. And, you know, if you're someone like LeBron who thinks about branding and ways to grow your brand, you know, if there's one thing I say about him, LeBron is really like the venture capitalist of the NBA. Have you ever noticed like when he goes to certain venues and cities, he's going to change the dynamic. When he went from Cleveland to Miami, he took a team that was a great, a good team or a good franchise and turned it into like a Hallmark franchise with a cult level following. And then when he went back to Cleveland, he went back to Cleveland to restore something that they didn't have in over a half a century, which was a championship. Now he's with the Lakers seeking to bring Showtime back. How many players can say that they won a championship organizations? which is something that he will be able to say, shall he win a championship this year? And while doing that, you also took those organizations to new heights and you bought one that was a historic franchise back to the top over the course of a decade in which their future looked very bleak and obsolete before you even arrived. Uh, I know we talked a little bit about like the, the 2011 season, which uh, in my opinion, um, I know I'm kind of biased, but I think it is one of the greatest seasons ever because of everything around it, you know, in terms of LeBron's decision and uh, in terms like that, that backdrop leading to everything else, leading to Dirk Nowitzki going crazy, the, the Thunder making their move to the conference finals finally. Um, and, you know, obviously Derrick Rose rising. Um and, you know, you also have, like, the, the Mellow trade and then the Darren Williams trade. I believe that was that season, too. Um, so, like, yeah, I mean, like, so much stuff happening. Like, that was really, like, like the turn of the tide, like, season right there. 
Um, and you know why it was the turn of the tide? I, I, I believe it was the turn of the tide because it was the first season, I think, that really made fans pay attention to not only what happens on the court, but what happens off of the court. Yeah. That's really the first season, in my opinion, that made me say, you know what? The NBA is not just a game. It's a business. And you have to start putting together pieces or aligning pieces on the chessboard to figure out how you can make moves to put yourself in position to win it all, be it in free agency or through signing trades. And that is deeper than just who you select in the NBA draft. You know, this, this is, it's, it's a serious business. Uh, so fast forwarding a little bit. Um, so like going to like the 2013 season, um, one of the greatest NBA seasons ever. Uh, this is a season where I'd love to see this team play against the 2016 Warriors. I think that'd be a hell of a series. Um, even just a couple of games, just give me two games or whatever. I'll, I'll watch them. Um, <laughs> but um where would you rank that team uh, in terms of all-time teams in the decade, the 2013 Heat? To me, they're the best team. You're the best um, in the decade? Yeah. Okay, me, so they, you put the were, number they, one. They were a homer team, yeah. Because and, they, they won a championship. And to me, that they're, they're, they're number one, and I would rank the 2017 Golden State squad second. Very interesting, yeah, because the Heat, they're like the perfect team in terms of like uh, they got like all the talent and they also have amazing chemistry. And the Warriors, they have like um, like the chemistry isn't like unbelievable. They're just so talented. They're just like all their talent is, is like it's like uh, it's like exaggeratedly amazing. Like it's like like they have like all their needs. Um, but yeah, like I'm, that's very interesting that you say that. The reason why I say that is this. During that season, I think a lot of people forget this. I believe to that point in time, LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh all post career high field goal percentage from the field that year. And those were by far like their most offensively efficient years to date individually under Eric Spoelstra. And you tie all that into the 27-game win streak. I don't know if we'll ever see something like that again. Yeah, I, I agree. Hard to win. It, it, people forget, like, it, it's hard to win games in the league. It's and hard it's to hard win 15. To get up for games in the league. Yeah, like, Ten, like they, you know? they, it, it's one thing to get up for a game when you're playing on national television against a prime opponent. It's another thing when you're getting up to play against a Cleveland in Orlando. To me, that was the best version of LeBron that I've ever seen outside of 2017-18 LeBron, I would say. He was at a point where he was like the most dominant player on the post. Nobody could stop him. And in the fourth quarter of those games, there were a lot of games, we forget that 27-game win streak that came down to like the final five and two minutes late in regulation where when they needed a big play, LeBron delivered. And 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 just like and then you think about the road that they they had to go on to get to the finals. It wasn't easy. You know, seven game series with Indiana, 
to come back down from three games to two to beat the San Antonio Spurs, led by Tim Duncan, who had never lost in the finals. You know, LeBron's the only man in NBA history that can say, I beat Tim Duncan head-to-head in the final matchup. No one else can say that. That's true. And that's why I rank the the 2013 Heat squad over the, the 2017 Warriors squad. They dealt with adversity in the uh, that season, I mean, like, it's crazy how, like, you know, they, they kind of won that championship, but kind of like on the – they almost lost it in, in their hands. Um, I, probably probably the game of the century uh, – game of the decade, in my opinion, the 2013 game six. Um, underrated for those four seasons, Chris Bosh in the clutch. I watched a lot of uh, – a lot of highlights, uh, obviously, leading up to this uh, today. And, um, you know, a lot of, like, just, like, mo- 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 a lot of them just, like, top 10 Miami Heat during the season, top 10 during the playoffs of each season, basically. Chris Bosh had a lot of game winners. He had a lot of clutch three-pointers. And then, obviously, we all know about the block he had on Danny Green in game six to basically force. And then we all know about the rebound. Chris Bosh, man, I, I, I remember, I mean, I gave him a lot of shit this, for, for the first year there. But I did not. Res- I did not give that guy his due until uh, until LeBron like like his last season until like he left Miami. Like I did not give that man his due uh, this whole time because I was like, oh, he's just kind of riding on the coattails. Kind of like you know, like like my dad. My dad he thinks Eric Spolster is a bad coach. He thinks he's just a beneficiary of having great players. And I'm trying to tell him like I don't think so. I like I think. You know, because it's easy to say, like, yeah, well, he got LeBron on his team and he's got D Wade. It's easy to say that, like, yeah, well, he doesn't need to be a good coach, but that's not true because it's not easy to get on LeBron's good side. It's not easy to get on LeBron's good side, and it's not easy coaching an all time. Yeah. You know, and as a coach, you're only as great as your personnel, you know, whether that's on the bench or on the floor. And, my my counter to that would be if you don't think Eric Spoelstra is a good coach, then how do you view a coach such as Phil Jackson? How do you view a coach such as Steve Kerr? How do you view a coach such as Greg Popovich? If you look at the history of the NBA, all the all-time great coach, Pat Riley, you know, like they all had all-time great players, multiple top 50 iconic legends of the game. And you, you, can't, you can't win without them. It's that simple. You, you just, you can't. It's a superstar-driven league. It always will be. That's why the power of balance is so easier to shift in the NBA when d- big dominoes move to new destinations. It's not like football where you can go from worst to first in a year, you know, just like that. Or baseball. Like, you when you stack the deck in basketball, you you could do a lot of great things and put yourself in a position to win multiple championships, which is what those coaches have been able to do because of the personnel that they had. And that's why a guy like Eric Spolster is able to say, I have two rings as a head coach because I did have the fortunate pleasure of coaching one of the top five shooting guards ever play and probably the best small forward to ever play the game in LeBron. Uh, so, and, and like, we, we, I mean, we've been talking like a lot, like the, the theme here has been kind of like, uh, short-term memories, you know, that's kind of what the NBA is about. It's like, there's it's a lot of short-term memories in the league and 
like uh four years doesn't seem like uh it doesn't seem like a short amount of time like when you're kind of thinking of it like all oh, lebron's gonna be on this team for three or four years um it's weird because by the time they won their second championship uh against the spurs i totally accepted the heat i, I was just totally like okay I'm, I'm fine with this team winning championships i mean i like them but like i'm i'm, I'm totally cool with them by, by 2014 i was i was cool with them I, I, I like i totally accepted them as what they were i'm like yeah, I don't mind what like I, I like watching the Heat, you know, like I like I was at that point for them, but it's crazy because he just like next thing you know he's like back on the Cavaliers. <laughs> and it's funny how it all worked out, but those were four years, man, of my life that uh, I never ever forget, and I had so much fun watching uh, those finals, especially in twenty thirteen. Against oh, the Spurs, that that was an all-time classic series. Twenty twelve was also and a great series, even though it was a five-game. It, 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 it was in the midst of a lockout year, but I, I just I think a lot of people forget about twenty thirteen and this back to it that I think gets lost in it is that in Game Seven, after Duncan misses the layup that would have tied the game, or I believe giving the Spurs the lead, it was it was somewhere within two or one point. I forget, but I know. Miami gets the ball. They call timeout. Spo draws up a play. LeBron gets it, and he hits a mid-range dagger over Kawhi Leonard for the game. And everybody always says that, you know, LeBron isn't clutch. He doesn't have those type of shots. But I do think that that's one of the most forgotten shots in a Game 7 situation. Yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, I, I do see people like kind of like mention it sometimes. Um, I wouldn't say it's like, uh, like I, I, it's definitely like a very clutch shot that kind of closed the door on the series. Um, I wouldn't say it's like it's like his best shot, obviously, but uh, it's definitely like you know, in terms of like uh, his like finest moments of like closing the door on the series. Like, yeah, it's definitely like you know that definitely is like a clutch moment. Like his and it's it, and it's like not just that shot. Like he had so many like game six, he just willed that team back. You know, they were down by 10 points, I think, at the start of the fourth quarter. And then the Heat were just slowly chipping back into it. And then uh, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James had this – I mean, LeBron especially. You know, he lost the headband. Remember, there's that, that – uh, the stat line, LeBron without the headband, LeBron with the headband, stuff like that. I want to see that stat line now because uh, he's been without the headband for a while. And sometimes he'll put it on every now and then. Uh, so I, I want to see that sad line now with, without the headband with that. I'm sure it's out there. So I'm sure some nerd on Reddit is, is doing it. Uh, it's crunching the numbers right now as you speak. Um, yeah. anyways, all right, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, but like, like I said, and, and what you're talking about, those are the memories that make the four year run in Miami. So memorable, the headband game. Like I remember that day just for that on top of the fact that that was the same day that J. Cole's Born Center dropped and Kanye's Yeezus dropped. So, you know, like, that that was just a special time uh, in my early adolescence, young adult life that I know I'll never get back, but you always remember where you were during those moments. And that was a run, whether it didn't matter what side you were on, you had to watch those games. Oh, my no goodness. different than no different than the decision. Because I always well, laugh, I always laugh when people criticize LeBron's decision. Because then at first <laughs> thing I always ask people is like, "Did you watch it? When did you play? When are they playing? When are they playing? I watched it. 
yeah. A lot you, of, you, whether they didn't matter what side you were on, you had to watch it. Yeah, like, I mean, obviously I was on, like, the other side, like, you know, not not a fan of them. But I would always watch when they're on TNT or whatever. I would always watch their games against the Lakers or against, you know, the Thunder. Uh, they had a lot of good games against the Bulls. A lot of great games against the, the Bulls in the regular season. Uh, playoffs, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. And the, play, the playoffs, they had, like, I, I only consider the 2011 series, like, a real series. Because 2013, the Bulls had no shot. There was no, like, I'm, I'm surprised they actually won game they, one. They had no shot. And LeBron was pretty passive that game, too. They had no shot in 2013, I'll admit that. But that was a special time just to be in the city because I actually remember running in the Birdman at the Water Tower. Oh, really? No lie. Because they were, staying, they were staying like off of Michigan Avenue. Ray Allen was out there. Oh, wow. You know, like, like it was a, that was a special time to be in the city. But those Bulls teams were always tough. They was always scrappy and they always played hard. And even though they didn't have Derek that year, you know, they made it a competitive series, but yeah, like they 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 have an interesting footnote in the Miami Heats. Yeah, you know, like four years it, run when they were known as the Heatles. Like, cause think about it, they broke the twenty seven game win streak yeah. that you do. <laughs> yeah, like it's a shame that like they, they kind of have to be like demoted to a footnote because the Pacers are kind of like their rival, and like I I hated the Pacers because I was like that should have been us, like that should be us there. Um, and, and, and like, disregard the fact that I think the Heat beat the Pacers on the way to playing the Bulls that one year in 2011. Um, but, like, the, they played the Pacers, I think, like, every year. Or, like, 20 – did they play in 20 uh, – maybe not in 2011, but they played in 2012 and 13. Yeah, 14. they played them at 12 through 14, yeah. 12 through 14 they did. But, yeah, like, I, it, for the Pacers, for me, I just – I like, those Pacers team, for me, it's all, like, wrapped in jealousy because I'm just like, that should have been us. Um, but – so you telling me you 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 would have just been cool with being on the losing side? Well, honestly, if if the series was a little bit better than what like how twenty eleven ended, like if it was a six or seven game series, I'd be fine with it. I'd be cool with it. I, I could accept it because like the the because I, I never heard just it. never got I, that chance. I think I'd be more calm now if we, if we had that chance. I guess so, but just being a, a Bulls fan that was spoiled enough when I was young to to be, you know, at those games when Mike and them was playing in the early '90s, six seven games wouldn't have cut it for me. I mean, because in my in my early childhood we were spoiled. I used to think the Bulls. I thought it was a requirement for the Bulls to win the NBA Finals every year. I just thought the Bulls were an automatic lock for NBA Finals yeah. every year. That's like when Michael Jordan retired. I learned more about basketball than I ever thought I would in my life. I just thought the league was literally set up for the Bulls to win. <laughs> a lo- well, a lot of a lot of Bulls haters would have probably agreed with you on that. <laughs> um, but yeah, man. Um, oh yeah. So last question before we sign off, we're we're about an hour in. This is probably we're this is gonna be a two parter, by the way. If anyone's listening this far. Um, mm-hmm. So last question. Uh, aside from just like the fact that they won twenty seven games in a row. Um, but this could be moments within it. Peak Miami Heat moment of those four seasons. Peak Heat moment. What do you think? What do you think of? What play do you think of? What moment do you think of when you think of that four-year runs into one play? 
one play? It could be a play. It could be a stretch. Um, but I guess aside from the 27-game winning streak, aside from that stretch, but there could be parts, you know, because I think, I think one very popular one is uh, LeBron dunking on Jason Terry. LeBron's game winner against the Warriors is very good. That's a legendary one. Yeah, um, that, that's one. But, but when I think of moments, I think to times when they were faced with adversity and they managed to overcome it. I think about the game four in the 2012 Eastern Conference semis in Indiana, Indiana when they were down 2-1. And Wade, LeBron, they come through with a big-time third quarter to get back into that game and take complete control. I think back to, you know, game six of the 2012 Eastern Conference Finals when they're down three games, two, and LeBron puts on an impressive performance. And I really feel like that was the day where he became a different player. He became a different beast. He became a different animal. He approached game mentally in a way that he went about his attack in games. You know, that was really the first time I could honestly say that I felt like LeBron played as though it was now or never. And he just was not going to accept anything less than a victory in a game you know and if he had to go to hell and back that night he was going to do it and, and that's what he did so to me those are it's really a tie between two moments I, I i really feel 2012 there were a lot of moments like that in the, during that playoff run whenever they were down it felt like the world was ending man it really did like just the way the reporters would put together their narratives and their stories yeah. It just felt like, hey, they could never win. Oh, are they going to break up this <laughs> team after the season? That kind of thing. Possibility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People are talking about that. Like, if, if they hadn't won, especially that game six. And you, you could even stretch it out until the next uh, – the, against the Spurs. Like, if they had not beaten the Spurs that next season, like, maybe maybe things would be looking a little different in 2014. Now, say all-time plays, one play that does stand out to me which is also from that lockout year, is when Bron jumped over um, oh, John Jay Lucas' head. John Lucas. John Lucas. Yeah, John, yeah, John Lucas the third head. Like, John he Lucas, did, I was like, Earlier oh that God. season, hit a fadeaway over LeBron, and it was one of my favorite moments, uh, obviously, of that season. And then LeBron just came the next game, and then the first quarter, he literally jumps. He literally dunks over, and like it was like the play of the game. Like once after it happened, we're like, all right, we already got the like the sports center people. Are like all right, we already got the highlights for the game. You know, <laughs> like they didn't have to worry about any other highlights other than that. Um, I do remember that. That is the game with the Carlos Boozer hair. Uh, like that. That was the game where people really started. Like that was like a national game. Also, um, yeah, the, there was a game. Like I think that was the game where. Uh, LeBron and D Rose like traded missing free throws. Like they both like missed like two free throws or something like that back to back. And um, it was a very, very tough scene <laughs> as a Bulls fan just watching that. Because uh, Derrick Rose still kind of has that reputation of like missing free throws um, <laughs> and, like uh, in the clutch. Um, but yeah, like just amazing memories uh, those four seasons. Um, we'll go all day about it, but um, we'll probably end it here. Uh, Thank you, Gabriel, for uh, doing this with me. Um, I know we had a little bit of technical difficulties, but I'll, I'll clean that up in, in just a second. And, um, yeah, check out Gabriel's work. You can literally look up Gabriel Wilkins on Google, and I'm sure, like, you'll see a bunch of stuff about his, his writing and stuff like that. And, uh, hey, maybe perhaps you'll come across this podcast. 
for sure. You can also follow me at gtime underscore one on Twitter. Definitely appreciate you having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk ball with you. Oh yeah, definitely, man. Uh, we'll 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 uh, we'll do this uh, again later. Uh, stay tuned for part two. Um, I'll post that. Uh, I don't know. I'm probably gonna post these these episodes on the same day. So stay tuned for part two and uh, listen to both of these. We had a lot of good stuff here. Thanks again to Gabriel, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Hoops Thomas podcast.